This evening we are considering the fruit of the Spirit of peace, continuing in a study of what Paul has for us here in Galatians chapter 5. So please take a Bible in hand and turn to the fifth chapter of Paul's epistle to the church at Galatia. We'll look at verses 22 and 23, particularly in verse 22, but maybe it'll be good for us here in a moment to back up and read this passage in context once again um, so that we see where we are. Last week we considered joy. Tonight, as you heard in our evening prayer, peace is what we want to focus in on of the fruit of the Spirit. Before we do that, let us pray and ask for the Lord's help tonight. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is a word for our building up. It is a word for the conviction of sin. It is a word for comfort and assurance. We do ask that tonight we would be nourished on the bread of life, your Son, the living word, as your word is read and proclaimed. So by your Spirit working among us, help us to receive to embrace, to believe, and to apply your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's back up to verse 16 this evening, Galatians verse 5. And we will read through verse 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Well, I have three objectives for us tonight as we're looking at peace. First is I do want to, by way of reminder, uh, what is the fruit of the Spirit and how is it produced? I do want to remind you of that. That's our first thing this evening. The second thing, uh, just take a moment and to define peace. We have a, a two-part or two-fold definition. And then from that definition... As you heard in Jacob's prayer, there's different types of peace. Uh, peace with one another, uh, peace with God, peace in the heart. Uh, 
So that's the plan tonight. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it is the character of Christ produced in us by the Spirit of Christ. Now God created man in His image and created us in such a way that we would bear fruit. That we wouldn't just receive, but that what we were entrusted to, we would multiply in stewardship and in dominion. And Adam failed in that task. And God always sought in his people that he would have a people who would bear fruit. And so we see with Isaiah condemning uh, the people of Judah in Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. It says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on very fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. Choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded Wild grapes, the wrong type of fruit, was evident in Jerusalem and Judah. And the prophet is grieving this. It's a sad situation. The people of God are not walking in fellowship and communion and obedience with God. And the fruit of their lives is not pleasing to their Lord. But Isaiah does give hope that there would be one who would come in the line of David, a Messiah. And he would be the one who where Israel and Judah have failed, he will be able to accomplish what they could not. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots. And listen, end of the verse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There will be one who will come from David who will bear fruit. Now, listen to what follows. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah says, The one who will bear fruit will do so by the Spirit. And that's part of the the story of of Jesus, the God-man who comes. He is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and by the Spirit, the Son of God, bears fruit. And then he gathers disciples. And he says, now you're going to bear fruit. And in John 15, before he goes to the cross, in John's upper room discourse, what does he tell them? He says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. It's the good news of the gospel that where God's people did not bear fruit, the Savior did. And now the Savior 
connects us to the fruit-bearing vine Himself. And the very Spirit that enabled Him in His work as the Messiah is now the Spirit that He has deposited in you, dear believer. And that is what we're talking about in the fruit of the Spirit. That the character of Christ is being cultivated from within and is to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is different than the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, another metaphor for the, the Christian is that we are part of a body. And as part of the body, we all don't have the same function and task. We don't have the same giftings. Some are eyes, some are noses, some are pancreas and gallbladders and big toes, and all play a part. Right? If you didn't have big toes... The big toe, you'd run in a circle. You need the balance, right? Uh, Everyone has a part, but not everyone has the same part to play. But it's not the case with the fruit of the Spirit. We may, at times, in becoming more like Christ, give evidence, and there may be fruit to more or lesser degree of these different categories that are identified of peace or, or gentleness, or any number of the fruit, but we should think of them as, Paul tells us, as one fruit. That the Spirit is producing all of this, and they are all related. They are all connected. And this is for every believer. And I begin with this, this, this simple introduction just as an encouragement. Because as I read that list, maybe there were things related to the works of the flesh, that you said, I, 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 my life has been marked to this point by more of these things. And the best you can assess your life, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and you're just like, F, 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 D minus, C plus. Well, the good news is that the same Spirit that dwelled in the Messiah dwells in you to make you more like your Messiah in every way. It's the character of Christ produced in us by the Spirit of Christ. So tonight, let's think about one of these. Peace. Peace. So let's define peace. Peace is referenced in Scripture nearly 500 times. Some would say that given the fracture that happens between God and His creation, that peace is the great goal and theme of the Bible. Now, I have a two-part definition of peace for us. The absence of hostility and the presence of well-being. The absence of hostility and the presence of well-being. Now, this is largely drawing on what the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom has this all-encompassing sense to it. And the best corresponding English word is peace, but it is a total well-being in body and soul and with God and with others. Shalom is the blessed life, one who is at complete and total peace. Now, there are different types of peace. 
So moving on from the definition, we see that there are different types of peace. There is peace with others. There is peace with God. And there is peace in the heart. Now here in the fruit of the Spirit, one of the types of peace is I think identified for as, as, as the fruit that the Spirit is producing that others would benefit from our lives. Because that's part of the image that we're given with the fruit of the Spirit, that our lives produce something that is beneficial, nutritious for others. And so, if you look at the beginning of verse 22, it has a conjunction, but, it's a very small word in Greek, but it's a adversative conjunction. So part of understanding the fruit of the Spirit is that you're intended to see what Paul just listed and then contrast the works of the flesh to what the Spirit produces in the believer. So there is the conjunction but, and so particularly then, the peace that is identified here is peace with others. And I say that because in the works of the flesh, what did Paul enumerate? Fits of anger, which does relate to the heart, but rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. So in Adam, apart from Christ, this is the work that comes from our lives. Rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. But when the Spirit is at work in our lives, the opposite, peace with others. But these three types of peace... Some has said that uh, you could identify it as eternal peace, peace with God, internal peace, peace in the heart, and external peace, peace with others. They are related. And the scriptures, though they speak of different types of peace and different ways that we experience peace, we see that it is connected. And so I want you to think about having peace with God. Because if you're to have lasting external peace with others... The root of that and the source of that is eternal peace, peace with God. Peace with God producing peace in the heart that then enables you, equips you to be a peacemaker. So peace with God. And this is something that the Old Testament presses upon us. It does so in the first five books, the Pentateuch and the Old Testament. It opens up recognizing that the relationship between God and man has been shattered That God's wrath is rightly directed against rebellious people. And that man, who should be grateful and desiring to worship and walk in fellowship with God, has strife towards his creator. There is no peace. And so, in the book of Exodus, God instructs that there should be peace offerings. Peace offerings. It's at least five times in the book of Exodus peace offering, offerings are reference. Exodus 20, 24. An altar of the earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. Your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And then in the book of Numbers, again, at least five times peace offerings are reference. Then we come to the book of Leviticus and peace offerings are institutionalized. They're given more and more instruction, clearly. And in Leviticus chapter 3, just one of them. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, 
If he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the the altar. There's one clear point that God makes to us with these peace offerings. And what is it? It's that if there's going to be peace between God and man, and then, to be sure, these peace offerings also had a horizontal aspect, it was going to be costly. And we know that these sacrifices didn't secure peace, but it was illustrating and telling them that for peace to be made, it's going to cost something. It will cost blood. But then, again in Isaiah, we found out that God doesn't just demand a peace offering, but He's sending a peacemaker. And that descendant of David in Isaiah 9, 6, we hear of being the prince of peace. That there would be one who would come and secure peace between God and man. And then that peace would then overflow into all God's creation. And so again, in Isaiah chapter 11, we see a description of the peace that the peacemaker, the prince of peace, will bring. In Isaiah 11, 6, it describes, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is one who will come who will make peace. And that peace will pervade all of God's creation. And we know that this is pointing us to the new creation, consummation. But in between there and today, there needed to be the shedding of blood. So, in one of the most shocking things of Scripture, God makes peace with sinners by the giving of His Son. He is the sacrifice. It is His blood that is the payment. It is His blood that secures forgiveness and pardon for those who are at war with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace is so rich. It's a full reconciling that God has accomplished with sinners. It, it is a peace of that there is the cessation of hostility of a righteous, holy God towards sinners. Because what their condemnation that they deserve was taken upon by His Son. 
And the peace isn't just a category of those who are no longer under God's wrath, but now they're God's adopted children. And through the son who they gave, who was given, they become sons and daughters of God. It's a wonderful peace that is accomplished. And that eternal peace, that peace with God, then, for the believer, puts peace in the heart. The subjective experience of peace. Knowing that your place before God's throne is perfectly secured by His own Son's blood. That your place in God's family will never be changed. Your status before Him is one of a child and a father. And that He is working all things for your good. There is well-being. It is a great cure for what plagues all of us. Anxiety. Peace in the heart. There is a growing Rest in God. As it's been defined, this sort of peace is the heart at rest in God. Matthew 6.25, Jesus commands us, do not be anxious about your life. How could he give such a command? Well, he gives such a command because he would do all that was necessary in order that you might come into a relationship with His Heavenly Father that He knew. And He is the example of one who did not worry about tomorrow. He is the one who was at peace with His Heavenly Father, trusting Him. So the great example of this is Mark chapter 4. There, they're in a boat, And a storm arises, Mark chapter 4, and the boat is filling with water because the waves are breaking over. But Jesus, it says in verse 38, is in the stern, and what is he doing? He's sleeping on a cushion. How can you do that? Well, he was so at rest in his Father's love and care, knowing that His father had a plan and purpose for him and it wasn't to die in that storm that his purpose was to be the Savior. And so the disciples, are they they, they come out and they wake him up and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. It's a demonstration that He is the Son of God. But here, as He commands the winds and the waves, peace be still, it just reflects the peace that He walked with and lived with in His heart and life. That's how we come to to really see the fruit of the Spirit illustrated. It's in the life of the Savior. That if we want to see what love is, we, we look to, to Jesus. If we want to see what, what joy is, we look to Jesus. If we want to 
see what peace looks like in this world, we look to Jesus, the Savior. Now, the great news is that those who who stick close to Jesus, we abide in Him, the peace that He knew and walked in and lived in becomes part of our lives. You see this in the life of Peter. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would you ever describe Peter as peaceful? No, you wouldn't. He's at times brash. He's at times uh, impatient. Uh, he's, words are coming out of his mouth before he realizes what he's saying. As Jesus is being arrested, Peter's the guy who grabs a sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. I don't think many people would have described Peter with peace. And then you come to Acts chapter 12. And the religious leaders are going after the apostles and the church. And Peter at this point, is a, he's a different man. Acts chapter 12 verse 2 says, James the brother of John was killed with the sword. And then they saw that it pleased the Jews, verse 3, and so they proceeded to arrest Peter also. So the same Peter that we see on the pages of the gospel, now one of the apostles has been killed and the Jews who have rejected Jesus as Messiah or appreciate this development and so they said, okay, let's grab another apostle and let's bring him in and let's, let's snuff out the church. And so Peter is brought in and then what does Peter do? In verse 6, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Here's Peter, just as Jesus was sleeping in the boat, now chained to two soldiers. Resting, sleeping. He's a man who's come to know justification. That because he has peace with God, if he is to die tomorrow, then he enters his reward. And that if he doesn't die tomorrow, it's because his Heavenly Father still has good labor and work for him. And so, having lost his dear friend, one of the apostles, after the news of the loss of, of, of James, here's a man sleeping in prison. This isn't from Peter. This is God's work in his life. It's the fruit of the Spirit giving him rest. And I like in the story, it's the church is praying for his release. And the Lord still had good ministry for Peter to do. But I love in the story, if you keep reading in Acts chapter 12, It says that an angel had to wake him up. Now, I don't want to underestimate the many factors that goes into the anxiety that I experience and that you experience. There are, to be sure, many factors. 
but we don't want to underestimate the power of the gospel to calm troubled hearts. And of the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, peace is one of the ones that we do get instruction on how to cultivate. So a familiar passage, Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, we are given instruction on how to cultivate peace in our hearts. I'll read it for us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How is peace cultivated in the believer? Well, it's by spirit-led prayer. It's by going to the Lord in prayer. It is abiding in the vine in prayer. And in doing so, knowing that you have a certain audience, meaning that certain that it, every time you go in prayer in the name of Jesus, you have your Heavenly Father's ear. That He listens. And that He is all wise. He is all powerful. And so you bring your anxieties to Him and there's this exchange that happens in prayer. My anxieties for His peace. Your anxieties for His peace. Cultivated through prayer. What a gift prayer is. It is a duty but man, it is such a wonderful gift that all the troubles of this life, there is a place to bring them. It is before your Heavenly Father in prayer. And then the peace of God, which goes beyond your comprehension, sets up a fortress around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it is then being at peace with God that produces peace in the heart that then we go out into the world equipped to be peacemakers. Now, of course, you may be thinking of this verse, and it is an important verse, Romans twelve eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us a very important piece of wisdom that there will be occasions where peace is not possible with others. And there's many ways that we could flesh that out and describe it, but just simply, if, if peace requires the compromise of truth, then that's not real peace. That's not the peace we are to make with others. And so that would be an occasion when peace is not possible. It may be that someone has chosen bitterness and though you come to reconcile with them and to make peace, they are refusing to do so. And so in those cases, there is the allowance and there is the almost concession of, of saying, if possible, 
But that doesn't leave us in a place of complacency as far as making peace with others. No, we would see that the Bible would push us towards engaging and not avoiding. So, just a couple verses. We could, we could list many, a couple. Hebrews 12, verse 4, and listen for the verbs. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive. Romans 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Strive for it. Pursue it. And then Ephesians 4, verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The maintenance of the Spirit. It requires our engagement, not our avoidance. So is there someone that you are avoiding? That you are not at peace with? The peace that Christ brought in the book of Ephesians, it's, it's two people who were set at hostility against each other, the Jews and the Gentiles, brought together by the peace of His cross. Within the body of Christ, Everything necessary to be at peace with one another has been provided in the gospel. So is there someone that you have been avoiding? That you need to strive for, pursue, and maintain peace with? And the maintenance of peace not necessarily a fun thing, but it is something that we are to give ourselves to. The Lord pronounces a benediction on the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And it's a simple idea, and William Hendrickson put it very well. It's the peace possessor becomes the peacemaker. So if you are at peace with God, then there's peace in your heart and you have what you need to make peace with others, especially within the body of Christ. And I close with this from William Hendrickson. This peace is the serenity that is the portion of all those who, having been justified by faith, yearn to be instruments in the hand of God, causing others to share in their tranquility. Yearn to be instruments in the hand of God, causing others to share in their tranquility. Amen. Let us ask God's blessing on the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, We thank you that you did not leave us to make peace with you on our own. We could not have done so. We could not have paid the price. But your son, having accomplished all that was necessary for our justification, we are no longer at war with you, but now your children. And as your children, help us to bring our cares, our worries to you in prayer. 
may there be a wonderful exchange. Just as there is an exchange at the cross, our sin for Christ's righteousness may be our anxiety for His peace. And Lord, may You work in us, Lord, not just, Lord, the recognition of where there is hostility that has not been resolved between others, but also the desire that peace be made. That we go forth in the power of the gospel, forgiving as we have been forgiven. Knowing that no greater price has been paid than the shed blood of Jesus. And from the depths of His riches of grace, we extend it to others. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.